during his playing career while being one of the, you know, the best scorers in the game, the five, seven, just this uh, amazing shooter for the Rockets. Yeah. Uh, what, he, he would take time out of his life to go compete in baton twirling. Game of Lifers, welcome back. Another episode. Hope you all have had a great week so far. And yeah, we got a big time one for you today. Today's podcast is a little bit different, but a big time game changer. It's a part one of two part series that will take you on a journey of the most in-depth and behind the scenes dive into the NBA that you will ever take. From New York Times best-selling author and just a next level storyteller with stories that you could only literally imagine getting your hands on. These are these are stories untold, unheard anywhere else about the NBA, about the best athletes in the world, about more than just basketball. And that's what we bring you here on The Game of War. This week's episode, a deep dive, like I said, to the unseen life of NBA players and the struggle that we all go through with identity. Wraith Bartholomew, welcome to The Game of Life Podcast. He is one of the most interesting people that you will ever meet and has been able to get behind the scenes from some of the top NBA players to ever play the game. Absolute legends. Not just figuring out what optimizes their mind and body to be able to perform at their highest level, but what makes them who they are. In essence, what makes you, you. And that's what we stand for on the game of life. We stand for believing in yourself, being yourself, confident in your own skin. And this podcast, this one with Rafe, is super fun, interesting. Like I said, stories never told before right here. But even more so, one that resonates with all of us. And basically, how do we deal on a day-to-day best basis with living up to expectations of others or feeling that we have to have a certain identity placed upon us and we have to do this or do that we can't be ourselves? We have the ability to wake up every single morning and vote for ourselves on what makes us who we are, our superhero power of choice. So Game of Lifers, without further ado, put those seatbelts on, buckle up, story time, NBA, identity finding, about to be a wild ride. Here we go. Okay. All right. Let me think. So from this book, oh, absolutely. I know right off the top of my head. Yes. The story that blew my mind. I mean, there's a lot that that has blown my mind uh, working on this book, reading through the transcripts for this ESPN documentary, Basketball, A Love Story, where, you know, the the film is 20 hours long. There were over 170 players, executives, coaches, uh, past and present interviewed for it. So these thousands of pages, but sort of feels like the the Dead Sea Scrolls of basketball (laughs) were dropped on us and we got to read the raw version and then try and translate it into a, a shorter more representable presentable yeah. version of it for, for for popular consumption but it was like just downloading all the wisdom of the game into you was an amazing experience um the story that i i had to look up to make sure it was real <laughs> was uh calvin murphy talking about his love of baton twirling baton uh twirling. and Yes, like like in, as a drum major, like in the marching band, walking down. Imagine you know uh, on a on a on a 
on a Thanksgiving Day parade or something. Calvin Murphy is there in the band leading the way, twirling a baton, throwing it up in the air, doing tricks. And he's talking about – he talked about how he was – a national championship level baton twirler and actually went and actually during his playing career while being one of the you know the best scorers in the game the five seven just this uh, amazing shooter for the rockets yeah. uh, what he he would take time out of his life to go compete in baton twirling events and and made it to the national championship level i looked it up you can actually still find it on youtube there's a like late 70s thing that espn covered way back in the day young jim lampley is there announcing it and they showed calvin murphy doing his baton twirling routine and he goes on and was crazy about it in the in the in the transcript during his interview is he keeps talking about like the, the you see the interviewer is trying to steer him back into <laughs> NBA basketball and you know how did you what was it like being a shorter guard and making it in the league how did you what kind of toughness did you need and he always comes back to baton twirling it's amazing <laughs> and he, he so some of the things he said he he went to Niagara for college and that was and it was one of the guys he averaged like 40 points in one Jeez. season there. Uh, and the reason he went to Niagara, he said, was because sort of right down the road, more or less from the Buffalo Bills. And the people at the college said, yeah, we have some connections there. We can probably arrange it so that you can go do baton routines during <laughs> halftime of Bills games. And he did that. Wow. So that was like, like of all the reason, of all the recruiting tools, of all the, the stories of, oh, yeah, he went, this guy went to there for this or that. It, it turned out that Calvin Murphy went to Niagara because they they offered a nice place for him to develop his, his love of baton twirling. Uh, and then – he also used to even when he was in the league with the Rockets, he would he, he made it he would insist to the franchise that they let him leave the locker room during halftime occasionally That's to go do his baton routine for the crowd. So it's like after he, you know, say he drops 25 points in the first half, he's on fire. He's like, all right, coach, you, you talk to the team. I'm going to go out here and do the and do the red panda with the baton. Uh, <laughs> he's, it was just nuts. And and the, my favorite thing about it was that he even links it to his reputation as a as one of the sort of toughest most hard-nosed fighters competitors in 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 nba history he claimed you know he was the one of the shortest guys but had this reputation as a as a real pit bull and this was back when they still actually fought in the nba he said he was 17 and 0 in nba fights and part of that toughness came from being a kid who did baton twirling and always being made fun of when he was young Gosh, isn't that interesting? Like, think about that today. Think about if <clears throat> you're at a Warriors game and Steph Curry comes out at halftime and starts going on a unicycle or something. That's just how. To, that's just that's nuts. Right, and we we sort of marvel at how loose uh, Steph is and how how he seems like. You know, although obviously he's taking his his craft into the game very seriously, he doesn't always seem caught up in it. He kind of enjoys the moment in a way that makes him really popular with fans. But we still couldn't imagine him going out there <laughs> yeah. doing a unicycle routine, yeah. <clears throat> twirling the baton like, "Oh, now I'm going to break dance at halftime." Like <laughs> that's a that's a level that you just can't imagine any modern NBA player. Gosh, but how comfortable does he calvin murphy have to be in his own skin to be able to go do that and one of the, being one of the toughest guys in the league like 
you know you're not going to make fun of him. He's going to beat you up in a fight, so you say anything about his baton twirling, and it's on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He was not the guy that you wanted to mess with baton or, yeah. or not. Well, think about that, though. Like, it is true for NBA players these days as well, and you might not know. Like, people might not see it from the outside. Is they have a, other interests. It's not just like basketball, eat, sleep, breathe basketball, but like Russell Westbrook and fashion. And there's a lot of guys with other interests. Was there anybody that you interviewed or got to talk to who's even more recent in the NBA that might have just like been kind of like a shocker, like something that you didn't see coming, but their interest level was not really 100% all in basketball, but was more uh, in a different area, let's say? Well, uh, well, so I, I don't know if I would say that this is shocking. That's sort of part of what we know, you know, the part of the story that people have always told about Shaq and like his multiple interests. But mm-hmm. it was interesting to, well, reading through this his transcript and and this long interview that that our co-author Jackie McMullen did with him, um, him really going in deep about all of his other interests and and. It was. I think it 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 gave me a much better understanding of him in, in in a good way because there was as a remember as a fan back during his career there was it was always this feeling that sure Shaq is doing all these things but does he really care about it or is he just sort of having fun he's like I'm a I'm a celebrity and a great athlete and I can do this stuff so why not it's sort of like you know I mean you, we, we I'm sure we'll get into this we've both been to the the Philippines a bunch and we've seen many Pacquiao <laughs> you know many yeah. Pacquiao releases sing albums and sings but they were never good albums it's just well you know who's gonna say no to this guy it was i I always sort of wondered what if that was the case with Shaq. but some of his 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 interest in business and marketing it really he really traces it back all the way you know throughout his life and and some of the stuff that he was planning, even as a like a freshman in college, he's taking he decides to to major in marketing because he knows he wants to sort of build his brand as an athlete. That's he sort of he was you could sort of see the seeds of of today's athlete taking their image into their own hands uh, in what he was doing back then before anyone really thought it was necessary. Yeah, that's interesting you say him, too, because Amin El-Hassan at ESPN is a good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast, and he shared a story that uh, that Shaq is much, much smarter than anyone would ever imagine. He told a story of being in Phoenix when he was with the Suns that he went to – he was trying to, like, unlock his iPhone, and he went to Walmart or s- somewhere and got a whole, like, 500-page manual, Amin did, and had no idea how to do it, and – Shaq was like, okay, hold on, let me let me do it. And sat down, read through like all 500 pages, split out the top 10 pages that Amin would need to be able to do it, and just like unbelievable things from Shaq and, that you would never think about, like his persona and his public image that he has as the big, goofy, fun, Superman-loving guy as being like a smart, super genius, but he is. That's That's really interesting to hear you say that same thing. I'm curious, and I don't mean to, you know, start asking you questions oh, on your yeah. own podcast, but um, you know, you you have a lot of experience with with NBA players and and professional basketball all over the world. Do you do you think that they hold some of that back? Whether it's it's sort of that that side of Shaq where he's got all these other interests, or or some kind of 
I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, softer side of them? Do they, Does that something they hold back because of the image of being in the NBA or is it because of just the overwhelming attention of celebrity? What And does it – would they be – I don't know. Would guys be happier or more successful if they could let go a little more? Man, I'm glad you asked that question. That is such a good question. And that's what I've gotten more into with the players that I work with and just allowing them to really – really be who they are like what makes them who they are and those type of things you can't really just bottle up and say hey you just have to be a basketball player 100 percent of the time because you need you need a freeing release and allowing the guys to have a freeing release and like being interested in their interests and helping them figure out what makes them uh, motivated and be at the best they can possibly be is i think it's super cool for everybody else to see that too like some of the players that I've worked with, like Kelly Olynyk, he wears a backwards hat all the time in workouts, like every single workout. Kyle Singler wants to have an art studio of his own, like super into art and super into any type of paintings. I mean, Jeremy Lin's a cooking nut, like just absolute like top level chef. And it's it's different type of interest. And people don't know that. They just they literally just see the product on the court and think that they're just absolute machines. But I think I think it's going to be like you guys did a great job with the book and be able to share these type of stories that these people, these NBA players, they're real people like they have real interests. And I, I think the more and more that they can share that, share their interests, the more comfortable they're going to continue to be with interacting with fans and more comfortable they're able to be with themselves and the more like just positive re- outlet release that they have. From the game of basketball because you can't be basketball 24 7 yeah it's interesting and you know i wonder if also athletes you a lot and not all athletes but i've been a lot and certainly reflects my you know non very amateur athletic career like when you're young and you 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 kind of a lot of the time find yourself hiding those other interests from your teammates for whatever reason, right. whether or not they actually care or are going to make, or you're going to get made fun of because right. you're a film buff or really into, I, I remember I, I went through a, a, a period in high school where I was hard into art history. I got a class turned me on to it. And all of a sudden I was going to like the, the, I, you know, I grew up in New York. So I was lucky enough to be going to like the Metropolitan Museum after school, after practice and kind mm-hmm. of sneaking off to do these things. But I, I would never think of telling that to anybody <laughs> on my, any of my teammates in high school or AAU ball. Like I just, I, it was just, that was, I'm I just nobody's business but mine. Yeah, you're right, man. I think you're right too. But it's and then once you're able to tell people that, and once people are be like, able, oh, oh, that's that's who Rafe is. That's cool. Then it just makes you so much more comfortable and confident in your own skin. And that's what I think that these the NBA players, professional athletes, I think it's starting to get more and more and more. Which when these guys, which I think is really important too, because they, they have the platform that we'll never be able to touch. And then if, if they show, hey, it's cool to listen to classical music or it's cool to study art or it's cool to be super passionate about history or uh, I'll use Jeremy as another example since he's a good friend of mine. Like we were in Vancouver together and we went to a board game store, literally a store that is all about board games. And we, we were there for like two hours talking to the guy at that, that worked there because he knew everything inside and out of board games and Jeremy loved board games. This is like a cool passion to have. And he's very comfortable and confident in his own skin. 
And I think that is really important because then kids and everyone else can see, hey, you don't have to worry about what everybody else thinks of you or what everybody else says you have to be. You can truly be genuine to yourself. All right. Welcome back to the Game of Life podcast. We've got Jeremy Lin on. Jeremy, what's going on? The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. He's like the eye of the hurricane. Because in the middle of the hurricane, it's really calm. And so Michael never tried to stop all the madness around him. What he learned was he just got calm in the middle of it. Stealing that pass at Staples, I was like, dude. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Give Kobe a little glance after that. What's up? Uh, You want to be that person that when they walk into a room, that people are happy to see you. Talk to me about working with Ronaldo. You helped coach Ronaldo to become a great sleeper. A human test tube. Thank you, man. I, I, <laughs> I think that's like one notch up from being a human guinea pig. They'll take it. In a good uh, way. And I just pray, man. Like, I just pray and I just thank God for, for everything. The moment you realized, man, I'm in the NBA. Oh, man, that was from day one. That was the the... The day I got drafted, when I heard my name being called. Buckle up, the Game of Life podcast coming at you, where we bring to you the behind-the-scenes lives of NBA players, business-savvy entrepreneurs, and top-level performers in all fields of personal development. The podcast that helps you become the best version of you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, look at us motivating people on this podcast, yeah, right. too. We're just dropping knowledge. All right. Get back into your book, and, let, and let, mm. let's uh, let's go with one here that, uh, let's say, a, let's say you're, the most fun interview, interview you had with a player or a coach or, or anyone that uh, came out of this book. Sure. Uh, so uh, first of all, I gotta, I, I gotta clarify that uh, I actually did not, even though I am an author of this book, I did not do any, not a single one of these interviews I did not get to conduct, which is, uh, uh, you know, of course it, I would have loved to have been there to, to interview any of these players. It sort of would be yet another level of dream come true. Um, but the way the book came together, the director, uh, of the film version, uh, Dan Clores, who's our other co-author had really basically had all of his interviews done by early 2016. And that's when he's working on the book, uh, working on the film. And it starts to, it starts to click in his mind that, Hey, you know, there's a lot here. I'm not going to be able to use. Maybe I can do a book as well. So that's when he ended up reaching out to me and Jackie McMullen and said, Hey, I got all this stuff. Do you are you are you guys interested in going through it and trying to pull the book out? So most of the interviews were done before I got involved in the project. And so I was my I I came in basically at the point of getting these transcripts dropped on me and then having the the most fun yet longest reading assignment you could ever imagine. Um, So that's so. So. But anyway, I still still reading through the interviews. There are ones that stick out. And the guy who I really fell in love with reading his interview. uh, I mean, there are there are a few, but it would I sticks out above all else was, is probably Spencer Haywood. Um, I, he, you know, he's one of these, you know, he's one of these seventies, early eighties, big men along with Elvin Hayes and these names that, you know, but 
I'm not, I wasn't old enough to see them play really in their primes. Maybe not at all. I'm trying to remember. Um, and so you don't really have a, a great feel for them. You just know that, oh, these are these big names of people who were important. Um, and to really have him telling his story in his own voice and, and cause he was just so funny and so open and, and also just telling amazing stories of, of a kind of, you know, growing up really hard in, in, in the South in Mississippi, where he was of a generation where he's still, you know, his parents, when he was born, were still sharecroppers on a farm. And, and he was one of 13 kids and, and they couldn't afford a basketball growing up. So his mom sewed one together out of like a burlap sack and stuffed it with, <laughs> with cotton. And, and they didn't, you know, they couldn't dribble it because it didn't bounce. So it was like they got two imaginary dribbles and then had to pass or shoot. And so hearing him tell all these stories uh, which in in this voice that's so evocative and funny and and even when he sort of went you know he had a period in his life where it was the 70s and 80s and and he fell into you know a bit of substance abuse and got into trouble in his career for uh one time with late in his career he fell asleep during a Lakers practice when they were stretching because he had he had taken too many quaaludes before practice <laughs> and it's but and, and he sort of he looks back on all of it with this really really wise and funny mix of yeah it wasn't all good it wasn't it wasn't all bad he'd been through a lot uh, and, and came out at the end as a really strong uh, sort of passionate you know person it was inspiring that is that is interesting that's that's why I think everybody needs to read the book because there's stories just jam packed like that, like stories of players that they don't even know and players that they do know of just the behind the scenes. I think that's what's really really intriguing about about the book is just how how cool it is to just dive behind the scenes, but behind these guys that you might just know as names or figures on the TV. And going on the, on that type of story, like. We talk about Spencer Haywood. We talk about Calvin Murphy. Just the craziness of how they got to the point that they're at. Man, you have a crazy story. Like to be called in, like you said, you didn't do the interviews, but you were called in as the higher gun, as the top author to be able to write this book after a movie's been made about it. Like that's that's pretty big time, man. And in your story of uh, man, I mean, we've known each other for a while. Knowing that we're talking about uh, Manny Pacquiao and in the Philippines, just. Give the audience just kind of a little background on how you got into this and how it's kind of evolved from those days in the Philippines to where you are now. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's one of those crazy. It is really a, a story that I couldn't have made up if, if it hadn't <laughs> happened to me, if it hadn't been my life, and it's a lot of it was not planned. It, it does. It really all begins starts from basketball from growing up playing and and loving the game and and not but but I would but then I went to college and and uh you know couldn't play Big 10 basketball at Northwestern so I was I, I was just studying journalism there and and not really planning uh, or going out of my way to look for sports journalism career or job stuff but it just so happened that near the end of that my my senior year in college, I was doing this independent study about different great sports books and trying to come up with an idea of what would a new way to approach these these the the, the big sports be. And 
one book that I read during that period was called Big Game, Small World. Uh, and it's so, I mean, you, you know, you got to read it sometime because I'm sure it'll remind you a little bit of your own life. Yeah. Is uh, the, the Sports Illustrated author, uh, Alexander Wolf traveled all over the country and all over the world and did like a, a chapter on basketball and all these different places where the sport had some important connection. Uh, so there's different states here in the, in the U.S., in some parts of Canada. Uh, and, and then there's one chapter on the Philippines where he described this stuff to me. But this is the early – this is 2004 – uh, before you could really learn a lot about it on the internet, before before YouTube even existed, uh, and he's describing these scenes in Manila of kids playing in the bare feet and flip flops and building their own basketball courts all over the city, and and just this this whole basketball world and culture that I had never really that I didn't know existed had never even kind of considered before mm -hmm. I started reading this. And it just, it blew my mind that, you know, on the other side of the world, a place that where, you know, the, the sort of in the common American imagination is that, oh yeah, people probably aren't that tall over there. And they, you know, maybe, maybe someone, maybe people know that it, you, you know, a hundred years ago, it had been a American colony and there's some of that history. Uh, and they've heard of Manny Pacquiao, maybe they've heard of Imelda Marcos and that's it. You know, so the idea that basketball was this prime mover of culture and people's lives and it touched everybody in so many ways there, it, it really blew my socks off and made me want to go experience it for myself and, and try and write about it. And I was lucky enough to get a grant that sent me out there. I lived in, in you know, based in Metro Manila for three years spent time in the PBA, the pro league out there before, before you got in and started teaching guys how to shoot. Uh, and, uh, and just got to, to absorb this, um, this, this, a whole new culture through the lens of basketball. And, and really it became a whole second life for me that, that I, you know, maintain to this day and have been going back every year, really, uh, sometimes for work, sometimes to visit, you know, godchildren and and close friends who are still there, and it's it, 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 it and it also and besides what it's meant to me personally, it also really did open up all these doors to do other things because the the time I spent there learning about Philippine basketball became my first book, which was called Pacific Rims, mm -hmm. and it was uh, and 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 then you know, that was, that ended up helping me get a job at ESPN for a bunch of years, working at Grantland as an editor. It helped me. And, and eventually when, when this book opportunity came around to, to sort of do this project, translating this, the, all of this documentary interview material into a book form, that's sort of the, that was the, the bedrock on which they, 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 they saw me and said, Hey, this guy has done some really interesting stuff in the past and he has editing experience. He would be good for this project. Yeah, it's funny how it all leads together like that and how you never really thought this is going to be the path, this is going to be the journey I took, but you just went on the journey, you embraced the adventure and you embraced the, hey, life's a journey, I'm going to enjoy it type of mentality. And it's it's interesting how you say, like you, you talk just amazing to the Philippines and you make it sound great, but I tell people no matter how great you make it sound, you're never going to really experience it until you go there. Like literally, if anybody is a fan of basketball or likes it at all, you have got to go to the Philippines to feel the passion that they have, the passion that they have for basketball, just the love they have for each other. Like I think 
America has pretty good passion for basketball, but Philippines is probably you got to multiply that times 10 to 15. It's just that next level. Quick break in our storytelling podcast with Ray Bartholomew to bring to you our sponsor for this week. Have you ever felt like you wanted to get better sleep? Yeah, I'm guessing you did. And did you know that the average person may spend more than 26 years of their life sleeping? That's crazy. 26 years well spent, that is. And getting enough restorative sleep is a game changer. Trust me, myself, like I'm an absolute nut for sleep and I wake up every single morning with ultimate energy. And what great sleep does for you, it helps you stay healthier, longer. You're not going to get sick. You perform at your best. You have the most mental clarity, energy, focus, more productive. Avoid the hunger, hangry mistakes. Manage your weight. Everything based on sleep. And what the Aura Ring is, it's daily in-depth feedback to help improve your health. Aura helps you better understand your body, your personal body, and your personal goals. You'll be guided through an intelligent, data-driven plan to help you improve across all important aspects of your well-being. It is unreal. Aura Ring, I wear it all the time. I optimize my sleep, check my HRV, wake up in the mornings, checking my score, competing with myself, and now your chance to get $50 off. $50 off at checkout, the code DNURSE. Enter that AuraRing.com, 50% off at checkout, D-Nurse. Get your sleep game on. All right, talking about sleep, story time. Back to the second half of the podcast. Let's go. Yeah, there's no I, – I, I, I will always say, and I haven't traveled widely enough to, to say it from experience, but I don't think there's any other country really that has the sort of the, the, the deep – passion for basketball across the board where everyone grows up either playing or watching and there's just this everyone really is connected to the game even people even the people I would do interviews for the book and I went I sought out sociologists and academics and professors about who were just general experts on Philippine society and culture and would ask them about it. And a lot of the time the interviews would start with them saying I don't know why we're doing this. I don't like basketball. I'm not a basketball player. <laughs> Ten minutes later, they're telling me about how, oh, man, you know, when I grew up, even when I didn't want to play basketball, the kids in my neighborhood knew where I lived. So they'd just come grab me and make me play if they needed some, if they needed five, if they needed, you know. So it was always, there's the the more, it was, the sport really touches people in this across the board way where it doesn't exist here. I would have to say that the only other places where it seems like there are such deep roots for the game are places like maybe Lithuania, um, where it is literally part of the nation's sort of uh, post-Soviet founding, you know, it's like (laughs) basketball helped liberate the country because of the great players like Marcelonis and Sabonis. Uh, And, uh, you know, a place like that, maybe obviously the Balkans, uh, you know, former Yugoslavia, which has that rich history, but it's still probably a a soccer region first or, but there is no other team sport in the Philippines. And it's something where they haven't had this great international success. There's never been a, a homegrown Filipino player who's made it to the NBA. So it's not like seen as a way to go conquer the world and, and make 
millions of dollars. They can make millions of pesos and become huge stars domestically. But it's 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 really and it's not even the the strength of the pro league and 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 the college games, the sort of the stuff you see on TV that makes you feel what's special about basketball in the Philippines. It's walking around. It's seeing it's, <laughs> yes. it's getting called into games everywhere you go just because you look tall enough to, to play basketball. It's <laughs> It's it's really you can feel it in this amazing way everywhere you go, whether you're in the countryside, whether you're in the city, you there people will find a way to put a basketball court anywhere, anywhere and anything. You see more. I always said if there were any way to measure like the basketball courts per capita in the Philippines <laughs> or hoops or, you know, and I'm talking this could be like really small improvised things. There would be more there than anywhere else on the planet. It's not even close. It like <laughs> your excitement and enthusiasm speaks volumes to it, but still, like you can't, you just don't know until you go. Like literally, I've seen pictures of after the after the huge floods and, and tsunamis, typhoons of people just playing basketball knee deep into water in the slums. Like I I remember just driving through Manila, and literally everywhere you turn, there's a basketball hoop. It's it's the coolest thing to see, but. It's also the coolest thing to see because it's what it's what unites the nation. Basketball is literally the thing that brings everybody together. I remember through our mutual contact and our good friend and just like the legend of coaching over there and one of the best people there is in the world, Tim Cohn. Like I'd go to his practices when I was helping them out and there'd be I, I kid you not, there'd be like thousands of people outside of practice, like in the morning waiting just to say hi to Coach Cohn and say hi to the players. And they're they're like the nicest people too. It's not like in America they're trying to heckle you or probably in Lithuania I've heard stories of, of people getting quarters and pennies thrown at their cars after a game. Like in the Philippines it's it's literally like all love and all passion and all family. And you spoke on how I loved how you said it too, Manny Pacquiao. Like you said like you sound like you've been there for a long time. <laughs> but you spoke on him and just like his passion for basketball. I remember when I went down there, I was down there for the first time. Like I think it was like eight days, and literally I went almost to half the teams in the PBA, did some private coaching for Manny Pacquiao's team. Just by being down there and being around it, you get just brought all over the place if you look like you play any type of basketball, like you said. But like having a, a figure like Manny Pacquiao and the, na- the nation's figure being a owner of the team, coach of the team, player for a team – most people know Manny Pacquiao. Tell me a story. Tell me one of your best Manny Pacquiao stories in PBA basketball. Oh, man. <laughs> um, well, so when he – and now he's less – now he's less involved in the PBA yeah. because he started up his own league and right. entirely sort of to himself with, with sponsors and other partners. But its name is – its name is the MPBL, which stands for the – uh, Maharlika Pilipinas Basketball League, but it's also no coincidence that MP is also <laughs> Manny Pacquiao. Uh, but so, so his the, the the stories you hear about Manny in the PBA were amazing because he was running the he was involved when he, when he would come to when he was available because he's also you know, at different points in this journey was a congressman and then senator and also training for fights. So he, he was not always with the team. But right. when he was, you would hear these one, the players, you would hear stories coming from the players about just how pumped they were that Manny's around because 
Manny is a reputation yeah. that he's earned for being extremely, I mean, you you know, you could say extremely generous. You could also say a little bit reckless with money. And so he shows up at practice and, and he, they were, the players would be pumped because they'd be like, oh man, Manny's coming today. Oh, I'm all right. I'm ready because <laughs> he's, throwing out practice, money. he's right. He's going to, he's going to be given every day. T- he's going to be having shooting contests. He's going to make a, he's going to put down, you know, like, like 10,000 pesos and, and say, okay, you guys play five on you know yeah. run full you know team that wins gets to take it all you know there was there just always these stories about you know how sort of crazy the the atmosphere got when he was around and, and also just it was amazing when he did uh play in games and check himself in the the way the crowd went would just lose its mind uh as yep. and it was it was funny because it, it's people from you know, our point of view would always be like, well, isn't he sort of making a mockery of this? He's not, a, he, he's not nowhere near the level of, uh, of a professional or even kind of like varsity high school basketball player in the, in the Philippines. Why, why is he doing this? Isn't it? Shouldn't the, 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 the integrity of the league. And th- th- those are, le- those were legitimate concerns, but there's all, there's, there was just this openness to the silliness of it all. And the crowd, you know, was sort of just howling with, with admiration and laughter and just like, shoot, shoot. Oh my God. Like it was, and he, and he loved it too. It's like, he, that's something that has always been a part of his personality. And no matter all of these sort of untouchable heights he's reached in his career now, he always has that side of him where he doesn't like nothing seems to make him happier than just goofing around with his buddies or his teammates or the guys in his camp and training and or singing and you know he he's never well so so and and because he's been he's sort of participated in stuff that he sort of has no business participating in by objective standards he just opens himself up he's like look i'm not embarrassed about anything it's sort of you talk about being uh willing to be yourself i mean he is sort of a, a, yes, a icon yes. in that in some way and you could argue that he has taken it too far at certain points in his career and and basketball may be one of those occasions i mean <laughs> you know and i you i remember feeling my i mean my my heart going out to poor you know daniel orton the former you know <laughs> player for the thunder who who showed up and 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 sort of spoke ill of Manny's yeah. uh, of Manny's basketball ambitions, and then you know he was playing for Tim Cone's team. He was playing for Pure Foods at the time, and basically had to be shipped. You know, they had to be replace him and get a new import because it was just too much. To it caused, just caused too much trouble to deal with to have him there after that. After he had voiced those those concerns, and you know, he sort of walked into a storm he didn't know was coming. Uh, but that for 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 Pacquiao the way that he's basically willing to do anything he's not never embarrassed uh it's it's one of these cool things and the crowd really sort of played along with it during those pba days right that's funny because i was there with daniel with tim a week before that happened and i remember talking to daniel about manny and he's like he was he was saying the same type of thing and like i remember giving him advice he's like hey be cool don't do anything to Stand out and ruffle any feathers like that, and you'll be good. And then a week later, he's gone after saying that. But and coming around full circle, like even just this story, your story, Pacquiao's story, like not afraid of what others are going to say, or not not afraid of being themselves, being fully comfortable in who they are. And that's what I think. Like these cool stories about basketball, a love story, tells about these players, tells about these coaches, the teams, and just 
everybody involved in this in this book, it's it's basically like, okay, the NBA or professional sports is this something is something that everybody looks at and kind of sees it from a distance. And it's like, all right, that's not real life, but it really brings it into real life. And that's what I think is about is so outstanding about the way that you guys put together and wrote the book. Like just the feel like I read these chapters and I literally feel like I'm in there with them. I feel like I'm in their shoes going through the entire journey with them. Is is that something you meant to have as part of this book, or is it just kind of like a byproduct of of uh how you wrote these stories? Well, I think it's it's definitely it's something we hoped would happen. I think the the majority of the credit for that has to really go to the 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 voices of all the players and the coaches and stuff because you know the book is told in this oral history format where it's instead of being written through in in long paragraphs and in, in the voices of of the authors, it's more we basically did this gigantic collage project of trying to use the 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 sort of the subjects own voices to tell these stories as much as possible and i think that's what makes it feel that's what gives it that immediacy that you're talking about where you where you feel like you're in the moment with them in some cases or the some of the the parts that i that of the book that really to this day when i'm rereading them or you know i, I just for fun i i re-listen to the audiobook version to kind of one it's a, it's an easier way to refresh on it <laughs> than, than, than reading every page again but two is also just cool to see how they did it in that form um but the there the moments that still can really get me uh, pretty emotional are, are are the stuff about the guy uh, where, where, where people these these icons legends you know great great figures in the sport the people who really did i think you could say as more for for the game of basketball than than any other group of people right this these are the people who made it what it is um for sure and they and they talking th- them discussing how they came to the game how they um how it felt to you know make their first basket in a real game or the first time a crowd you know in a in a rec league game cheered for them as kids <laughs> and what it meant to them or 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 how some guys you know some Jim Calhoun the former Yukon coach talking about how the sport was a refuge for him you know after he lost his father as a in his early you know as a young like around the time of he was 14 years old you know stuff like that all of those personal experiences that to me sounded so much like, you know, my own emotional connection to the sport. And while it's probably not surprising that the the people who really have devoted their lives to basketball can, you know, uh, love it in a way that's, you know, as deep or probably deeper than, than people who are, you know, a little more on the fringe of that. Uh, but still to, to, to hear it come, just to read the words, to hear it coming out of their mouths, to hear Larry Brown telling this story about what Chuck Daly told him about how it would feel to to win a championship, and and Chuck Daly telling him, you know, it's you're not going to feel it right away, but then one day you're going to be just driving around, and out of nowhere you're going to get the biggest stupidest smile on your face and the guy <laughs> driving next to you in the lane is going to look over and be like 
what is that idiot laughing at? <laughs> you know, that, that big smile and yeah. reading it and thinking, man, it's, it, that stuff is powerful to me. I can think of, you know, even not winning, forget winning a, a, a real championship at a meaningful level. I can get that smile thinking about guys that I played pickup ball with, you know, in, in Manila at, yeah. at Northwestern in LA growing up. I can, you know, my high school games like that, just thinking back, I mean, you can, it's just, and it's just this idea that, you know, it really is a love story that basketball, even with with people I may not even be able to I may not have ever known their names but I but I played basketball with them you know dozens of times because we were in this living in the same place or guys who I haven't talked to in however many years uh, like you you shared something that you really love with them and it's 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 sort of amazing that you can you can you know like create that kind of bond uh so easily thanks to the game Rave, you're so right, man. And like just hearing you say that, it just reminds me of literally most of the business relationships I have or a ton of the friendships that I have are are based on basketball. Like I've I've met some amazing people just through playing pickup basketball, like the CEO of PayPal or the owner of the Golden State Warriors, and just becoming friends with people through the love of basketball. Like without having to sit down and have a business meeting or anything like that. You just bond on such a level of basically a love story and being able to travel over 45 countries and countries that don't even speak the same language and to be able to develop long-term lifelong friendships just through the game of basketball. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like people will say it's just a game, but it's so much more than that. It is an absolute love story. And that's, you hit the nail on the head there, man. It's, it's an unbelievable relationship builder. Yeah, yeah. Ray Bartholomew bringing it on part one of this two-part series on the Game of Life podcast. Going in-depth behind the scenes. I know you learned something that you did not know about some NBA players. But more importantly, seeing that these guys aren't just like figures. They're not just objects. They're real people with real issues, identity, caring what other people think. And how do you separate from that? How do you live each day without worrying about what others think of you, without feeling like you have to be put inside a box? How can you be you? How can you be confident in who you are, have passion for what you do, and ultimate joy in everyday life? That is the key. That's the key, folks. And you're able to learn that through these behind-the-scenes NBA stories. Super interesting part one, part two. Just a little hint. It's even better even juicier and that's coming at you next week big time thank you Ray Bartholomew tongue twister check out everything that he's doing check out his book basketball a love story it's also a video series on ESPN so check it all out and on Instagram shout out myself shout out Ray tell us what you learned about this podcast hit us on Twitter Facebook anywhere we'll get back to you right away and we want to know what you're learning we also want to know or I want to know what you want to learn. Where in 2019 do you want to grow the most? Who do you want me to get on this podcast? You name it, I'll do it. I'll do my best to do it. And one way that you can help with that, if you literally could take eh, 10, 15 seconds of your day right now, if you listen to this, this would be big time. This would be a huge game changer for myself, for the game of life, for all of us bringing other people on. You could leave a review on iTunes. Five star would be awesome. If you love it, Put a five-star review. It takes 15 seconds. The more reviews, just like Yelp, the more people are going to go to it. 
not trying to build my own self up by any way, but trying to get you the most in-depth, coolest people, information, high performers that you can get on this podcast. Game of Lifers, check out the review. Leave me a question. Leave me some feedback. I'll shout you out. And man, just have an awesome, awesome week full of passion, full of joy, full of you being you. And do something great for somebody else this week. Like we always say, pour into somebody else and you will be filled. That's the key to ultimate joy. So Game of Lifers, have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next week for part two. Remember, life's a journey. Enjoy it. David Nurse, Game of Life, signing off.